Welcome back to the Sucking Tips Nerd Alert podcast. I'm your host, James Huang. It's a deep dive episode this week, and I'm joined today by Nick Martin, co-founder and former CEO of The Pros Closet. I guess now you're sort of just founder and like kind of just playing around now, right? Yeah, founder is the best best title in the world. Anyway, Pros Closet, for people who are not familiar with it, it's an outfit here in Colorado that, and I don't think this is really hyperbole here when I say this, but you're, you're basically trying to completely transform the way that people buy and sell used bikes, right? Yeah, spot on. We are, yeah, we're bringing, bringing something that's already really well known to like the auto industry, for example, and applying it to our industry and um, really creating something, creating a market for premium pre-owned bikes. Cool. Well, I guess we can just go ahead and, and jump right into it because Nick, I've known you for a long time now. And um, and I was just saying earlier before we started recording that it's been really pretty fun watching the progression of Pro's Closet from way back when, when you were basically just sort of selling your old team gear yeah. to this behemoth of a building that we're in right now. I came in the customer entrance and the employee side of the building is all the way on the, all the way on the other side of the facility. And they have scooters everywhere to get around because otherwise it would take too long to walk. So to give you an idea of how big it is. And it adds a little fun to the day. No, everyone smiles when you're zipping on a scooter through a warehouse. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, not quite like, I guess you're not quite to the scale of like having a pit bike at a, at a racetrack or something like that, but it's not too far off. You know, no, that'd be cool. Yeah. That'd be cool for sure. Their insurance might have a problem with that, but <laughs> yeah, we've come a long way from the pros closets come a long way from being in a van and then a condo and then a warehouse, which you saw early on, and um, a warehouse in North Boulder, which is about 400, 500 square feet. And we had that maxed out to the to the brim. And we've had 14 warehouses, 14 warehouses later, here we are. So it's been pretty much a warehouse a year for the last 15 years. Wild. So how did this whole thing start? So like if, if again, for people, for, especially for people who don't know or aren't familiar with, with your history or with Pro's Closet, like how did this whole thing get going? The Pro's Closet was really a, uh, a need for me to sell the gear I was having given to me through our sponsors, racing for Trex Volkswagen. At the end of the season, when I was done with it, I was living in my van, traveling, racing full time. So I didn't have a place to put these things and I needed an income to keep doing it. So I would sell my used bike parts at the end of the year and used clothing. Used clothing isn't a sexy business, but it was um, clothing that you couldn't get anywhere else. So we started on eBay. Um, we grew to be the largest cycling source on eBay. And then we realized at a certain point, like three or four years ago, that we couldn't own the customer experience. And that time we, you know, it was exponential growth. And, you know, we were up to about 40 employees, which seemed massive at that time. And before we even turned over to our own website, um, then the pros closet said, hey, we got to, you know, raise some capital and own the customer experience and take that customer into our own hands. Um, and we did that three or four years ago. And now we're up to, I guess we have almost 180 employees now. Wild. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm guessing it's been a pretty long time since you've written an item description yourself at this point. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, it's been a, a pretty long time since um, since I've even turned a wrench, which is embarrassing to say. So I'm like looking forward to like building up. I've my tools got absorbed. I was actually talking to my wife. We're building my garage out right now. And I have no bike tools. My tools were essentially the pros closets tools, and it got absorbed into that. So all of a sudden, all my tools just disappeared, and I don't even you know have any. I don't even have a three-way right now. Oh, so I'm like in the process of building my dream garage. So we have a lot to talk about. Wild. Okay. Yeah. Cause this started in 2006, right? 2006. So yeah. I guess it's been what, I guess 
16 or 15 and a half or whatever, how many years at this point? Yeah. And even a couple of years before that, it was already, you know, already moving, but we just hadn't formed a legitimate right. Be- LLC. Before you had a name, I mean, essentially what you were right. doing was like, like you said, selling your leftover team stuff, but also selling leftover team stuff for your buddies too. Yeah. I had, um, I, I tapped into something that my teammates were like, Oh crap, that's awesome. Can we, can we send you our stuff? And that's where the pros closet started. It wasn't like, Hey, I got a business plan. It was like, oh, wow, now I'm selling stuff for my teammates. Now I'm selling stuff for other team managers, other team mechanics. And before you knew it, every pro team, essentially, we were selling for on the circuit, both road and mountain. And then that's where the name of the pro's closet was born. And as we were in, I mean, we've continued to reinvent ourselves year after year after year and found this niche in the cycling industry that um, every bike that is no longer on a dealer floor is essentially a used bike. As soon as you take it off that dealer floor, it depreciates and becomes a used bike. And nobody is like owning and legitimizing that market. And that's where the pros closets, you know, our goal is to, to wrap our arms around that. All right. So what exactly, what exactly happens here? Like, so I think people are very familiar with how the traditional model has been for buying and selling used bikes. Like you put, post an ad somewhere and someone is interested somewhere and you stick it in a box and ship it off, whatever. Right. Um, what is... What is what happens here? Like, how is that different than what it normally had been? Yeah, that's a great question. It's, it's, and, and seeing is believing too. Like when you come through this behemoth, you like start to see it and your eyes open up and you're like, oh, wow, this is, this is a living, breathing, you know, ecosystem that we're creating. And essentially we believe in, in three things. It's the certification side. So we're um, certifying all of our product that we're processing. So we're getting, giving our customers essentially a new bike. We go through and we check every single point, every single bolt, every single torque spec. Um, we know bikes, we're bike nerds. So we get in there and we get deep and we make sure that it checks our box of what we think is quality. And we also believe in curation. So every week we have about 1,500 bikes submitted to us organically through our sell, sell, sell portal on our website. Um, could be a thousand, could be fifteen hundred, depending on the time of year. Every week, every week. Wow! And okay. we say no to most of those bikes, and folk, we buy about three hundred bikes a week. So maybe a little bit more, three, four hundred bikes a week. And you know, these are premium, pre-owned bikes. So we are picking out the best bikes to resell. So when you come to our website, you know that this has already gone through a lot of different filters to make sure that the best possible pre-owned bikes are in front of you. And then finally, we believe in, in the guarantee side. So you have the customer service, the ride guide. You can call up, you know, we have a, a massive team. I think it's probably approaching 30 people now um, that you call up and you can talk to, ask technical questions. Um, and all of our team is specialized in different areas. So if they don't know the answer to it, they'll forward you on to the right rep that does know. Um, and then if you, when you get your bike, you can um, test it out, go experience it. And if it doesn't check the box for you, you're we're, no questions asked, guaranteed return. Um, and then we'll also buy it back from you too, guaranteed buyback. So we're trying to become the, you know, reinvent that entire experience and become the bike shop of the future. I mean, it really sounds like what you're trying to do is you're essentially emulating what has already been happening in the auto industry for a really long time. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It's, you don't like when you go to buy your new car, you know, you're not going to leave your old car, you know, hanging on a hook in the garage, right? It's like a very known um, part of the buy sell process is to go in and trade in your old bike, your own car, your own car now, now your now your new bike, um, and leverage that to to get the next one. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, 
I can't remember how many months ago it was now, but uh, Ronan McLaughlin, our, our uh, tech editor in Northern Ireland, he wrote an article a, wh- a while ago about how um, he actually used to work at a car dealership. He was a car salesman at, at one point, and he was talking about how it would really serve the bike industry so well if there was that sort of model industry-wide. So I want to I get back to that a little bit more, uh, just kind of like the concept in general. But when you when you said that you have like 1,000, 1,500 bikes that are proposed for um, to, to sell to Pro's Closet. How do you figure out what you're bringing in? Yeah, it's, there's, um, we, we look across, there's, there's some math that happens behind the scenes, and, and now we're surrounded by people that are much smarter than I am. Um, our analytics team um, has, we built out this algorithm, and we look at um, all of the inventory we currently have, both on the site as well as the, the as we go through the warehouse, you'll see all the bikes that are coming through and waiting to be processed. Um, and we look at categories. So it's based off of, you know, the, a certain amount of road bikes, certain amount of gravel bikes, certain amount of mountain bikes, certain amount of e-bikes. And we make sure that we have the right breadth of sizes across every one of those categories. So when you come to our website, you are guaranteed to see, you know, the, a, a breadth of options across different sizes, different makes, different models. At any given point, we have you know over 40, 50 different brands on our website. We've become this house, the Pro's Closet's a house of brands. We're not just selling for one you know, manufacturer. Every day our inventory is changing. But, so I, I did a little research on the site, yeah. uh, and I was seeing how, looking at what the actual process looks like, and um, according to the site, essentially what happens is someone who's looking to uh, sell their bike to the Pro's Closet, they they take just two good pictures of their bike uh, and then full description and all that stuff. Like how, how much detail can you pick up from two pictures? You can, we, we know historically because we've sold thousands, you know, tens of thousands of bikes over the last couple of years, um, make model, which ones require more service when they come through, we know where to look first off of the photo, but then when it also, it comes into our operation, our team, um, inspects it. And what inspection is, is pretty in depth and thorough. And we can take you through that process. Like, you know, we don't pay out the customer. We pay them out within 24 hour, 24, 48 hours, and it has to pass the inspection. So we trust and verify. So we go through and make sure that it is what was in the photos, that there's no carbon damage behind the crank set, you know, or any other spot. And once it passes the inspection, we release the funds. Well, so how often does something get rejected at that point? Um, it's a good question. It, you know, well, we usually things get rejected not very often. We usually call the customer up. Customer most likely is unaware of the damage. A lot of us don't know that our carbon wheels have cracks in them. Like you just don't get in there with a um, high powered flashlight to look at all the details like we do. We know where to look, especially like you mentioned those Rolf wheels when we were going through the shop. Like we know what makes and models to look at. They're highly you know, probable that they have a crack in certain areas. So we use that, um, that expertise to kind of verify that, but not very often, probably I would say less than 5% of okay. the time. Um, we, we also have, if, if something fails, we can part it out and use all those parts to help service the other bikes. So we have a lot of parts back there that we use to service this stuff. So we might discount, you know, the offer to, um, to account for what we have to reinvest to make it, make it whole. But but it, it doesn't happen very often. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I guess at that point, it would be so much more of a hassle to, to box everything back up and then ship it back out and do all that as opposed to, I mean, the, the seller is incentivized to sell the bike. Right. And if you can, of course, if you're a reseller, if you want, you want it, it'd be 
you're incentivized to get something for a good price so you can make some money on it and you can kind of just come to a, an agreement with everyone as opposed to like just nixing the whole thing. 100%. Yeah. That we don't, the last thing we want to do is have the customer have to re-unbox their bike after spending the time to box it to, and send it to us. Like right. we, we work with the customer to, to make sure that we find um, a, a good spot. Okay. Um, all right. So someone takes a couple of pictures of their bike. Um, they make it kind of past the first round and someone on this end says, okay, we're interested in your bike, box it up, send it out, whatever. Comes in, gets inspected. Uh, you go through that whole process. What happens at that point? Um, well, once it, once it's been inspected and it passes all of our points of verification, um, it will go on hold. So we because, um, because of the stolen bike market, which is something that we are um, proactively like charging against to make sure you know high end you know high end bikes, you know our average sale price is north of $3,000 and, um, you know, the pros cause it's a, the, the known destination to sell premium pre-owned bikes. So it goes on hold and we, we, we put it through the leads process, which is the back end, um, database for the police and ensure that that bike isn't, isn't stolen. And once it, it passes our, our period of time that it has to be on hold, then it goes through, um, our certification process, which is literally um, a step by step by step, almost like a Ford, you know, Model T assembly line of like, this is where the crank bolts get torqued. And I'm sure there's some sort of checklist that everyone has to go through. Exactly. It's all, um, it's all part of our, um, our back end, you know, infrastructure. It's all recorded and we can see who, who torqued what. And it passes, you know, it, first it will pass, I think the wheel, the wheels first, and then it goes into um, the drivetrain. And this is where our mechanics are are so incredible. Like I, I can confidently say we have the best mechanics in the industry. And I say that in a, I'm very proud of that because our mechanics process over hundred bikes a day. So think about like how many bikes do you think a shop mechanic is gonna see any given any given day? Maybe like a dozen. A dozen. And that's a pretty solid day. Yeah. Like that that person's cranking. Um, you know, our team is is seeing a hundred drivetrains every single day. So they're, you know, nobody is better at tuning and knowing what to look for and, and dialing that in. And then it goes to the next station and you have the brakes get dialed in. And so it's like an assembly line sort of inspection. It is. Yeah, totally. But assembly line for snowflakes, right? Every bike is different. So it's this different layer of expertise. It's not easy. It's very hard. And I think that's one of the, one of the moats that we've been able to build around our business is, um, is the understanding of if that, if this, then what, right? Like it's like the process, how the sausage is made. Right. It's pretty, pretty cool. Okay. So then it goes through the certification process. Then presumably it gets, everything gets cleaned up and kind of put together in its final form. Yep. And then comes photos. Right? Yeah. Then, then we, you know, we highlight all the things that are wrong with it. So there's no surprises, um, any scratches, you know, anything that we feel the customer needs to know. Um, it goes through our, our, our photo process and then it goes to pre-pack where, um, we pack it, our, our team, you know, packs it so that you can build it up in five minutes or less with, um, with a torque wrench that we provide, um, Torx wrench. And, um, you can literally just pull it out of the box and get going very limited packaging. And then it goes on our, on our site where any given day we have over 2000 bikes right now on our website. Wow. Um, which, and we're, we're at a time where, you know, the industry doesn't have any bikes. So right, to be right. able to go um, and shop across all 
you know, all categories and, and have something in your size is, is unheard of right now. So what do you do as far as pricing these bikes out? Like normally, like in the auto industry, we were talking about the whole certified pre-owned thing. And usually those automobiles have somewhat of a price premium on top of them because supposedly you're, you know, you're buying with some level of confidence that you're not getting a lemon, right? Yeah. So is that sort of thing baked into the pricing here as well? Like, are you, are you going to pay more, a little bit more for a bike purchased through the pros closet than you would through a private party? Oh, I mean, you, you will pay more because we've gone through all the work of making sure you're getting a quality product, right? Like you're not going to have, if you get, if you go buy a bike on Craigslist, let's say, you probably have about $600 worth of refurbishment, shocks, you know, suspension work, um, drivetrain, you know, some, something is going to have to be done to that bike. What you're buying from us is a premium certified pre-owned bike that you know is ready to ride out of the box. So there's, there's a premium, but there's also the quality and value that you're also getting with that. I mean, I guess it sounds like essentially what you're doing is taking the uncertainty out of the equation. Totally. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, what happens with, I guess the thing with, with certified pre-owned, uh, with, with the auto industry anyway, um, usually you have kind of local dealerships and some sort, of, some sort of local infrastructure in place. So you can take that automobile back for service mm-hmm. or if something happens, like if something's wrong with the, the item that you discover after the sale, like you have somewhere to go. So we are here in Louisville, Colorado, and someone could be buying something off of the internet on, on the Pro's Closet website from... I don't know wherever out in California, Washington, whatever. Um, and actually, I, do you do international sales too? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. All right. So anyway, you could be somewhere in the U.S. And let's say that person pulls that bike out of the box, and something something ends up being not what they expected. Right. What do you do then? Yeah. Great question. So TPC has a guaranteed thirty day no questions asked return policy first and foremost. So if even if it doesn't fit, we're, we'll take that back and pay for the return shipping. So if it get it and it's something, let's say the, the trailer hanger gets bent in shipping or something, something pops up. Bikes are very complicated. They're quite techie machines these days and a lot can go wrong. So if something inevitably is not as expected, um, we're going to work with you. First off, you call your ride guide and then we're going to work with your local bike shop to make it right and we'll help pay for that. So we're, you know, we're going to go above and beyond to ensure that you get what you expect. And then you said you have a, a certified buyback thing too, right? Exactly. So we're guaranteeing any bike that someone buys from us because we've already laid eyes on it. We've already certified it um, that we will buy that back. So if you're like, hey, you know, it's wintertime. I'm, you know, kind of over my road I'm, bike. I'm and I'm ready. Ready to, yeah, <laughs> ready, to, ready to get a gravel bike or something else. Like you can trade up and, and buy something else. And you get more for your trade-in if, you've, if you're selling it back to us than you would if you were just... Um, selling something that hadn't already gone through a process. So basically what you're, I mean, to me, it sounds like what you're trying to do there and it sounds like a smart way to go is you're trying to keep someone in the TPC system at that point. Yeah, totally. We want to, we want to, we're in it for the long haul. You know, we want to be your riding partner. We want to be there when you're ready to, to um, continue your journey and try something else. And everything is value. That's where we started. It's like, the things that are hanging in our garage all have value to somebody else. So extending that life cycle of the things that already exist and putting in the hands of someone that it's a new bike to them. You know, we believe bikes are meant to be used. So like get out there, ride that bike. But when you're done riding it, there's a lot of other bikes for you to fall in love with. And somebody else is going to love your bike just like you fell in love with it. 
Um, how do you potentially deal with things like, uh, like invisible damage? Like you were talking about how um, you have kind of like team mechanics, team of mechanics looking through and inspecting everything that comes in and looking for, for cracks and carbon damage and that sort of thing. Yeah. But I guess with carbon bikes and carbon components and stuff in particular, a lot of the damage can be invisible. Mm -hmm. What do you do with that? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. And that's carbon. Carbon is the material of choice nowadays in our industry. So we've partnered with aerospace, aerospace engineers to come in here and help us train through proprietary process that we have unique tools that we use to be able to verify all of the bikes. And hmm. some of that stuff we can't talk about because it's kind of the moat around our business. Interesting. But, but that guarantee is something we take very seriously. Huh, I had no idea you were doing that. Yeah. So we, I, I would presume it's a little goes a little bit beyond like, you know, tapping with a quarter sort of thing. Yeah, it's tapping with a quarter. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, it's it's um, it's, you know, safe guarantee the guarantee of if you're buying a bike from the pros closet, we're guaranteeing that it's quality. It's in the inspection. It's in the condition that you'd expect it to be and that it's safe. And not stolen. How so how many you said you have at any given moment? I think you said you had what, like a couple thousand bikes up for sale. Yeah. How much are you at liberty to talk about how much you're growing? Um, <clears throat> to a point, I mean, we, I can, I can tell you it's, we've been growing in triple digits and, you know, we're up to 180 employees. Um, you can back into the math. I mean, our, our pre our average sale price is north of $3,000. So it's a very premium product. Um, you know, a new bike today is, you know, north of five, $6,000. So it's still a great value. Um, and bikes depreciate, you know, just like cars depreciate as soon as they go off of the floor. So you can get um, a very quality product um, for half the price, essentially. What I'm wondering is, do you have a sense as to, I mean, 2,000 bikes sounds like a lot, obviously, but in the grand scheme of things nationwide, I would have to imagine that's still just a very small piece of the whole used bike marketplace. Yeah. Right? So do you have aspirations of sort of you know, kind of owning some large, larger percentage of that whole thing? Like what's, what's the plan for scale? Like, is this whole thing scalable and what's your plan for getting bigger? Yeah. Used bikes are not going away. As soon as they go off that dealer floor, it's a used bike. So we, we know that even, um, let's just talk about the United States, like us, you know, what the addressable market is here and without getting into like this large TAM, you know, conversation, like we know that they're, Seven billion is about the market here in the U.S. for for bikes going into the market every year, and the bikes were in this premium space. So, you know, we're probably addressing you know thirty percent of that. So the addressable market every year is in the billions, and take that. You know, we sell we sell bikes that are like up to five years old right now. So you take that and you look at you know five years worth of that inventory. That's a lot of inventory. And then as we you know as we continue to grow, you know, that's every year more and more quality bikes are getting pumped out into the market um, and buying a bike and then hopefully reselling it again. So you can, you can touch some of these bikes multiple times. So there's a, there's a lot of wood to chop there. And then we're also, you know, tapping into the pre-owned component side. So certified pre-owned components. Um, and not only that, we're also partnering with different um, manufacturers to start selling new product on our website. So you'll have the option to buy new or used. So walking through, I think I said earlier this uh, earlier in the recording that, when I walked in at the opposite end of the building, I was again having seen how the pros closet has grown over the years. It's pretty it's it's pretty staggering just to physically see how big it is now. Yeah. But when you consider how much volume and what you're doing right now as compared to what the theoretical potential is, even just in the United States, I mean you could occupy this entire office park. Yeah. Um 
is that what you're hoping to do? Like, are you looking to like franchise this sort of model out like nationwide sort of like, cause I, I, I would have to imagine, I mean, you've, you, you've brought in like a, a whole bunch of venture capital money. Mm-hmm. You've got all this investment. Um, it, it's, you're, you're, you're clearly still very much in a growth phase. And I, I think it doesn't really take a whole lot of imagination to see that again, like I said in the beginning of the podcast that you're really trying to transform the used bike marketplace. Yeah. What's the vision? We're just getting started. Like we are definitely focused on, you know, continuing to grow and transform the market where, you know, to connect with the customer at their door is, is, you know, how do you scale this? You said, you mentioned franchise. I don't think franchise is in our future, but we want to own that experience and we want to, it's, it's, um, there's a lot of moving parts to it, but we're, we're testing, um, the mobile mechanics here in Denver so that if you buy a bike from us, Locally, you know, we'll ship it to you. We'll ship it to the the mobile mechanic. They'll build it up and deliver it to you. Or if you have a bike to sell, we'll come to your garage, pick it up and bring it here. So you don't even have to box and ship it to us. So we're testing that out. And I see that getting scaled out, you know, nationwide so we can meet the customer where they're at and also answer any questions and take that customer service to the next, the next level. Um, We have also invested in a content team so that we can um, tell stories, be part of the conversation, um, the how-tos, the technical side of it. And we're, we've got an incredible team that's doubling down on the content side and putting out a magazine, um, a digital magazine on our website and um, investing in, in um, the content and um, eventually going international. Oh, interesting. Um, coming back to the, to the media thing that you mentioned, so not that long ago you bought the Radivist. And I think... Is John Watson here right now, or he's uh, he fell in love with his troopy and he's just driving around somewhere. I'm not sure, but he just picked <laughs> up his new, his new truck. Um, he was supposed to be here today, but he's he's headed home to Santa Fe. Got it. Yeah, overlanding somewhere. Yeah, he's overlanding somewhere. He's s- certainly not taking a paved route home. <laughs> no, <laughs> I was excited to see that thing. Uh, so what what's the plan there? So again, like not only are you looking to really transform things on the used bike marketplace sort of thing, but you're there's all this sort of support that goes around it. Like you mentioned, uh, what, like, what are you trying to do with the whole, with the whole media and content thing? Yeah. Um, our, our CEO jokes about it. Like there's this tag tagline in the jewelry business from, I think it's Shane company. It's like, we're your friend in the diamond business. Oh, that voice in my head. You can now. hear it, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we want to, you know, we want to, we're your friend in the bike business, right? Bikes are complicated. They're, they're confusing the shopping experience. You know, it's, it can be intimidating. So like, putting out quality content that, you know, we're part of the conversation every day. You're not going to buy a bike, you know, every day, every week, every month, you know, but you're going to buy a bike maybe once every two years. And um, in, in, in between those times, we're going to, we want to be there feeding you, you know, content that you're interested in that inspires you to ride um, that helps you understand the technical landscape of our industry and um, be part of that conversation. And John has done an incredible job building a community with Radivist, and I'm a super fan. And the opportunity to team up with him and his storytelling and his team of contributors that he's put together has been a dream come true. And um, so that party is just getting started. Cool. Um, So you mentioned earlier that you're not only doing a whole bunch of volume with with the used market, but you've partnered with a bunch of of brands to, to sell new product through here. How does that work and how is that viewed in terms of sort of like the traditional brick and mortar retail market or like even just selling stuff online through their own portals or on 
whatever, I'm not really sure, like various mail oversights, that sort of thing. Yeah, you can see, I mean, the announcement yesterday was specialized that going direct to consumer is is the direction. Again, following, <clears throat> you know, you can see the consolidation across um, the auto industry, a lot of parallels there. Um, we're very much a house of brands. Like I said, there's, you know, 40, 50 different brands represented on our website at any given time. Um, we ha we've also learned that we've become a logistics company as well. So understanding, um, you know, how to, how to ship bikes and how to, um, how, you know, how to meet the customer, um, online and become a, a digital marketplace. We essentially we're peer, like peer to business, peer to business to peer, like we're the middleman in, in helping to, and we're not direct to consumer per se, um, cause we're also buying from our customers, but, um, we're, we just partnered with Harley Davidson and their serial one bikes. Um, so we're, we're selling new, um, new serial ones and we're partnering with some other manufacturers that you're going to see here shortly, some bigger, bigger players that'll be offering new direct through our website. So does that create some friction with any of the, you have these trade-off partners nationwide, um, bike shops that you kind of, I guess they, do they box up these bikes for the the potential people that are selling their bikes to you or like how often. Okay. Yeah. So does, does any of that create any sort of friction as far as you essentially being a competitor with what they're selling also? So the, the shops that use our tool as a tool in their toolbox do really well. And it's interesting, the shops that um, we work with, we work with a lot. Um, and then there's some shops that just dabble with us and they haven't really like integrated into their pitch, but the, the shops that get it and they're like, Hey, do you have a bike to trade up? And they use it as part of their selling process. It helps them add more value to their customer by helping them bring in your old bike. We'll, we'll send the two photo. We're going to get a valuation for your bike. We'll box and ship it. And we become, um, extension of their team. So we are very much like, so I've got, I have a sign that's over there as I'm getting settled in my office, make the industry stronger. We're, we're rolling out something that's going to help the, uh, help the, the retailers do business better. Um, so the, these trade-up partners, are presumably they get some sort of percentage or something for being a partner? Like, how does that work? They, they get um, a higher percentage offer for the bikes. Okay. So if it's, you can slice the math however you want to slice it, but they get better value for their customers, whether they pass it on or, you know, they integrate it into their sale price, however they work at the math. Interesting. Okay. Um, so speaking of this specialized announcement that went out yesterday, which will be, I guess, just a few days ago now yeah. from when this podcast gets published. But I, I just posted a, a poll on Twitter uh, yesterday just asking very simple if people thought essentially if this was a good thing or a bad thing. Hmm. And the opinions were very mixed, I will say. And yeah. it actually seems it, – it wasn't even so much divided among like retailer and end consumer as I thought it would be. Um, where do you see the future of retail in general going? I see it focused on service. And, and, you know, being that trusted, like when you walk in your bike shop, you have a relationship with, you know, with Jim at Vecchio's and you walk in there and you expect, um, that, um, that white glove expertise and keep, I mean, bikes, constant maintenance, just like I go into our dealership for, um, my wife's car and it's like constant, I'm always there. And then when I'm there, I'm also looking at the cars that are on the dealership floor and, it's, it's that service. I go there for the service side of it and the community's side of it for my bike shop. And I think that's the biggest opportunity is for our bike shops to focus on being amazing in the service sector. Because it does seem more and more that w the way things are going, shops 
assuming the assuming they've been paying attention, um, shop owners should be recognizing that what traditionally has been the business model for a bike shop just isn't going to be that way much longer. Like you're not shops clearly aren't really going to be able to survive purely as being sort of a middleman for finished goods. Right. I think with any business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself. If you're not constantly changing, constantly reinventing yourself, you're getting left behind. And um, I use um, a, a saying with my team very often. It's like, I've gotten really comfortable being uncomfortable. It's like you constantly have to be pivoting and thinking about the customer, thinking about what's best for the customer, where can we meet the customer, where they're at. And if this is a surprise to anyone in the bike industry, then we haven't been paying attention because this has been a long time coming. I think Specialized has already been really selling on their website for a long period of time, right? Like, right, or at least for like parts and accessories, that sort of thing. Sure. So it's that infrastructure is already built, and the, you know I think we're going to see a lot more manufacturers flipping that switch. Essentially, aside from the fact that the bulk of your inventory is secondhand goods that are coming from that are coming from previous end users, mm -hmm. what you're doing doesn't really seem all that different from what Specialized Now or, you know, Trek or Canyon or YT or like any, any other brand that is selling bikes consumer direct over the internet. What you're doing doesn't really seem all that different from what that model is either, right? Right. Yeah. We're, we are, yeah, we're online, you know, we're, we're, you can shop from the comfort of your own home in your underwear and not have to, um, you know, walk into a bike shop, which can be intimidating, um, and get edu an edge, take the education side into your own hands where, you know, I'm always absorbing content and, and reading and learning. Um, but, um, the internet's not going anywhere. I'm, I'm kind of wondering if, well, I'm sure you've given this a bunch of thought, but how, how could all of this go wrong? Oh, that's a good question. Um, how could this go wrong? Well, I, I guess let me, let me, build on that a little bit. Yeah. So one of the things that people are really concerned about with this, with this specialized, um, what is it? Rider direct program. I think they're calling it. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that people are concerned about is bikes have gotten increasingly complicated, especially at the higher end. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's interesting that as they have gotten more complicated, as people seemingly need more support to either for that initial purchase or to kind of keep that purchase going or maintenance and upgrades, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, at the same time that things are getting more complicated and you need more of that support, you're also seemingly removing some of that support by taking a lot of the process online instead of having to walk into some brick and mortar location. Mm -hmm. um, is that a problem moving forward? Well, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to get my bike tuned online, right? Like I'll definitely always be going to my bike shop to get, um, to get my bike tuned and serviced and, Bikes, because they are so technical and complicated, it requires, you know, different layers of expertise to be able to do that. Um, but your question about, like, what could go wrong is really intriguing. And I think what could go wrong is if people stop riding bikes, you know, if it gets too dangerous to be on the road riding your bike. And I think the pandemic has opened up this new wave of enthusiasm for cycling. And I've seen more people in Boulder on, like, Boulder's obviously a unique market, but I haven't been traveling because of COVID. So um, I've seen... My, my road where I live has got bikers all day long. It's insane. I think more people are finding safe ways to get outside, to enjoy the sport, um, and to get into the sport, which essentially raises everybody's boat. And I think what could go wrong is if people don't fall in love with cycling and we don't continue to inspire the next generation of cyclists and we get people out early. And um, my son, James, has been on a Stasic 
um, which is an Ooh. electric. You know what these are? Oh, I do. They're so cool. And they're like, they're basically like mini motocross bikes, essentially for people who don't know what those are. Yeah. Like very, uh, very mini, very mini. I mean, he's been on it since he was 18 months, you know, it's got a throttle and it gives him the balance to be able to shred at 18 months, you know, because pedaling at that age is super awkward and you just can't get going, but he can turn a throttle and he gets an incredible balance. And now he's four years old and he's hitting the pump track and he's already hitting jumps. And I'm like, I didn't learn how to ride until I was 13, 14 years old. Like that was just where I was in my, you know, my experience with cycling. And, um, I think more and more kids are getting out earlier. We have bike, amazing bike parks infrastructure that's blowing up in all of these small towns. And, um, I think the best thing for the sport is for more and more people to fall in love with it. So what have you noticed as a result of the pandemic? Because certainly anyone listening to this, anyone in the bike industry is painfully familiar at this point that they're, well, I shouldn't say pain, painfully in the sense that things are, are harder to get, but um, there certainly is widespread consensus that there are far, far more people who are into riding bikes now than there were two years ago. Um, so I'm guessing you've probably seen that have an impact on your business. Absolutely. We, we've had a, the pros causes had a, had a tailwind through this process. So the supply chain has obviously contributed to that. And what we've realized by being, um, in the secondary market that the supply chain isn't affecting us as much. It, it does affect us because we have to service chains and brake pads. Right. But you're not worried about your product coming into port on a boat. Correct. Yeah. So we have 2000 bikes on our website right now. How many bikes do you think are in a bike shop today if you were to walk into your local shop? Oh, like back when I was working at a shop, if we had 2,000 bikes on the floor, that would be a big problem. <laughs> big problem. That'd be a lot of bikes. And it could be a paradox of choice too. Like you could be like, wow, this is too much and walk away. And that's where our ride guides come into play. Um, but we have, we've had inventory and we've had people selling things that were in their garage as well that they weren't riding. So um, instead of just hanging up a bike on the hook, all of a sudden you're starting to clear, clear the the fleet out and buy, you know, one or two amazing bikes that you're going to ride all the time. Um, so we've seen a, a large influx of people looking to sell bikes as well as people looking to buy bikes. Um, and for us right now, it's creating the brand awareness. There's, it's amazing how many people haven't heard of us. Um, so we're still feel like we're just getting started. So we're starting to grow the brand. So do you feel like there's more, more stability and a little less uncertainty for the segment of the market that you're in, as opposed to buying and selling new? Yeah, I definitely. You mean like the certified pre-owned side of it versus well, I, selling I new? Well, I just mean in the sense that is is there is there less volatility in the used bike market than there is in the new? Because there's, yeah. there is some there is some pretty reasonable uh, reasonably backed speculation at this point that inventory levels are slowly finally catching back up to mm -hmm. where uh, where the demand has been for a while. And there is expectation that as that continues to swing in the other direction, this this bubble essentially that we've been in for a while, like I don't know if it's going to pop, but things may start to kind of level off a little bit. Yeah, um, is that something that you might also expect to see here, or it does not? Does that sort of thing not happen as much in the used market? We haven't. I don't think it happens as much in the used market, and a lot of that is just related to the supply chains alone. Like we're not dependent on anybody's warehouse and any, you know, manufacturing timelines. Um, we have tons of opportunity to purchase inventory. So we're being very select and curating which bikes we say yes to. And as we grow that, like if we have 1500 bikes to pick from this week, you know, we could easily, you know, buy double that in size based off of what we're currently buying. Um, so I think for the foreseeable future where our growth path has us going, 
Um, I'm not I'm not as worried about the supply chain issues other than making sure that we have chains to be able to do that. But now we're buying in bulk, we're partnering with manufacturers, and we have those relationships to be able to to get in front of that. Um, but that's a great question. So I don't know um, how much you look into like the real estate business, that, yeah. that sort of thing. But like Zillow, right? Um, actually, I don't know if Zillow is international, but Zillow is a, it's a big online real estate. Um, I don't even know how to describe them, but it's sort of they almost sort of like. It's where you go if you're just curious about the value of a home or what something has sold for, like, you know, various features, that sort yeah. of thing. And for quite a while, they were, like, during this real estate boom that we're in in the U.S. right now, they were actively buying properties themselves and reselling properties themselves. Yeah. But they ran into an issue not too long ago where they were, um, unfortunately, found themselves in the position where they were spending too much on properties and not they weren't able to kind of turn them around and refurbish them and get their money back out of them the way that they had hoped that they could. Basically, they couldn't scale up the way that they that they needed to. Mm-hmm. How do you keep that from happening here? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. I'm a huge fan of Zillow. I'm always following, you know, Boulder's market trends because it's been really crazy. Because it's been insane. It's been insane. <laughs> it's absolutely insane. Now with the, the you yeah, know, the Marshall Fire, which is tragic, um, inventory is just even more limited. So it's it's... I go to I go to Zillow because I the price the price matrix right like the confidence and understanding you know year over year appreciation and wh- where things are at we're very much that for the bike industry the pros closet has more data in the pre owned market because we're the ones actually selling premium bikes and know what people are selling them for what people are buying them for the time to sale um, all of that data is. What's powering our decision making? Well, you've and turned yourself into the benchmark, essentially. We have, and there's other there's other players out there that claim to be, you know, the the blue books of our industry. But the reality is, they're not selling. They don't have the information of the premium products to actually know. So we don't even use that information to drive our decisions. It's not it, it's not relevant for right, us. Right, because there is an organization actually called Bicycle Blue Book. Correct. And I've always wondered, like, how do they figure out what your bicycle is worth? Like, how do they do that? It's a great name, but if you go there, they're selling lower-end bikes. And, um, but claiming it's, you know, I'm sure they will they can tell how their math works out. I think it's a depreciation um, equation. But there's also, we know that there's some makes and models that actually can go up in value. And there's some... Um, stuff that you simply can't service anymore, so it goes down in value. Um, and there's there's different, um, like a custom titanium um, anything, right? If you get a tailored suit, it's going to be really hard to, the, the sale, re- resale price of a tailored suit can be lower than, than, a, than a stock one. Oh, believe me, I've had that thought in my head because I've been contemplating selling my seven for a long time, so. Right. <laughs> yeah. Nice, you still have it. I do. It's been, it's been stripped down and hanging in my garage for probably a year now. Yeah. I know I'm a, I'm a weird geometry, so I've got, you know, custom mosaic and um, you just, you, you know that going into it. It's, it's information that um, you can always submit your bike and at least figure out what it's worth, right? You can always go to us and have, um, and, and have the insights and have the data in front of you. Well, I think, as I said earlier, it's been super interesting watching this whole thing grow and I'm really curious where things go from here because as you said like you you're, you sort of feel like you're just getting started and it does seem like as for as big as you've gotten when you look at how big you could be there's an awful lot of growth potential there um i kind of want to talk about you for a little bit before we before we sign off here because yeah. again you started this whole thing you were sitting there at your computer writing all the ebay descriptions and yeah. now you guys are off of ebay and you've got you know, kind of a massive facility and all these employees and everything you recently stepped down as ceo yep 
and you're now kind of founder and like, I don't, I don't really know what you're doing exactly, but I know yeah. one of the things you're doing here is um, one of your passions is vintage bikes. Yeah. And there is an insane collection here. Um, what, like, where's your, how did that whole thing come about? Like, why did you, you know, you came up in the sport with kind of like the latest and greatest in mountain bikes and like the mm -hmm. highest tech and whatever. And, and you have this, this passion for the older stuff. I'm a, I'm a bike nerd. You know, I think we, sh we share that in common and probably many of your listeners are also bike nerds, especially if they made it this long into the podcast. So it's like, I'm, I, I love the technology and how it's changed. I love the storytelling. I love um, the stories behind who rode that, where did they ride it? Um, I, I, th I think bikes themselves are art pieces, functional art. So I enjoy looking at them. Like the socks that's in my office here is here for a reason because it's one of the most beautiful bikes in our collection. Um, our museum, the Proskaz Museum, I think has over 300 historic bikes. A lot of these bikes are on loan from collectors. Um, we own a small percentage of them. Um, but we get to tell their story and we get to bring those to life. And that's something that, you know, the early days of the pros closet, we were literally walk into Bob Roll's garage, for example, and help him sell things or help any of the pros. You can insert interesting cycling personality and we've probably been in their garage and have had the opportunity to see, you know, what's hanging in Davis Finney's garage. And um, it's hard to say, hey, let's go sell that on eBay. And at a certain point you start buying these things, accumulating these things. And then before you know it, your warehouse is full of all this memorabilia. And we've been doing this for 15 years and we have been able to uncover some amazing stories and some amazing things. And now as founder, um, I transitioned out of the CEO role about 18 months ago, which was um, a, a, a incredible gift because um, John Levisay, our new CEO is incredible, much smarter than I am. And be able to like have gone through this process before and know how to navigate the waters. He came from, he came from Etsy, right? He came um, from Craftsy. Okay. Craftsy. Which was, was okay. a content commerce business for, for, for crafts. Um, and they scaled and sold to NBC. Um, and then after his earnout, he was on our board of directors. So we got a good working relationship and um, very parallel. He's also a cyclist. So he understands um, our business really well. And he's much better at it than I am. So the ability to like <laughs> level up and put experts in place and, and surround yourself with people that, um, that, that can, that can get this business where, where I believe it can go. Um, and for me now it's staying out of the way. Like I'm, I've, I'm focused on museum curating now and founder. I'm like, um, a, a cheerleader for our company. I mean, it sounds like you've really kind of gotten to the point that you've rightfully deserved and earned at this point. So you can kind of, you know, sort of pseudo play a little bit more now, I guess. Yeah, I'm playing a lot and I'm, um, I'm building trails. I bought, um, we have 50 acres in Boulder, or just outside of Boulder in Left Hand Canyon. And um, I have two full-time trail, well, part-time trail builders, but we're making a lot of progress. And then I'm out there doing it as well. And we've got single track out my garage and that's my dream. And so we're, you know, I'm spending more time in the woods, less time in spreadsheets. And um, I think I'm just, I'm better at that. <laughs> talk, talk to me about chainsaws and chopping wood. Oh, Because dude. this is something that you and I podcast. have touched upon a little bit yes. in the past. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm really fascinated at how these things kind of coexist. Like, how did you get into, like, why chopping wood? I, I um, well, when we bought the land, you know, fire mitigation in Boulder is. Big deal. Big deal. 
Um, the forests are overgrown. We've been suppressing our wildfires. I'm very passionate about forest restoration. I'm, I'm a tree hugger that cuts down trees. Um, so I have started, this, this is my new passion and we could talk about this for hours and, um, and you can see my, um, my OCD and my wood piles because I do a Norwegian style, um, a Holzhausen stacking technique, which is a circle pile. Um, there's a lot of reasons why I do that. Um, but one of them is because a beetle kill, if you stack your wood in between trees, the beetle kill will go up and kill that tree that you've, you've, you know, stacked in between. So these self-contained um, circular wood piles help the forest be healthier. Interesting. Um, so I've been working in the woods and I, I've like yesterday, I, I burned 70 slash piles in the woods yesterday. Taylor Finney was out there helping me. And under the supervision of the local fire department, we uh, should add, because yep. this, this, this recording was originally supposed to happen yesterday, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I canceled it <laughs> right. so I could go burn. Um, and with the fire department and, um, that's my passion and you get to watch the forest evolve and it respond and you thin it out and all of a sudden the trees get healthier and bigger. And it's amazing. I've been doing it for five to six years now. And, um, I've already seen a dramatic change in our land and, um, it's a lifetime of work and it never stops. So I've, um, I bought the neighboring parcel of land and I hope to buy the next parcel and, um, and continue building, you know, trails through that so I can, I can access the land. Would you say, would you say that you're as much a chainsaw nerd now as you are a bike nerd? I've got more chainsaws than bikes. I've got probably seven or eight chainsaws. Um, they all have a specific purpose. <laughs> um, I have a go-to like, but the N plus one, um, definitely works for my garage as well. And like, I've got a parts cleaner for my chainsaw chains. I have a chainsaw sharpener. And I take it very seriously. Man, is there a future in lumber, lumberjack games for you? Oh man, I'm, um, it's interesting. Like I, um, it, a chainsaw isn't a, a tool to play around with. It is the most dangerous tool. As it turns out, go figure. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so I can't imagine like making a game out of chainsawing. Like it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, I've got a whole process of like a safety process, a checklist. Um, I, I used to fly, I was a aspiring pilot for a little while. So I've got like a checklist mentality. Um, so it's like safety first. I'm out there in the woods by myself um, with a tourniquet and a radio. And you just make sure that you, you, you are aware and present and one tree at a time, man. All right. Well, Nick, I'm glad to hear that, uh, whatever conversation we have in the future, I'm not going to be looking at you with a bunch of missing fingers. Oh man. No, I, yeah, I'm not going to wood. I mean, you have to <laughs> yeah, always, you know, take every moment and, and you, you can't take anything for granted. Well, cool. Nick, it's been a pleasure talking to you about this. I mean, it's something that we've been trying to get together for, for years now. I, I think. appreciate it. Thank uh, you. And it, if anything, it's actually kind of good that we waited this long because now you're at this stage and we've got all this other stuff to talk about. So yeah, thanks again. Totally. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, we'll uh, maybe we'll check in with you again and see what, see what's going on. Maybe we can hear a little bit more about, hear a little bit more next time about your, your trail building and, 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 uh, and holes house and wood, wood piles. All right, let's make it happen. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, thanks Nick. James. Appreciate it.